0: hello everybody thank you for coming tonight pleasure to see everybody here to talk about the great sport that we love um first of all round of applause for ross jc this entire thing opera with bobs Woo! it's a great host a great pub and uh, they've been a big supporter of football but gulu united in general uh, gavin's here to help us with that as well and we know that Adrian, many of you know Adrian Bradbury and his family are down there right now in Gulu doing all the great work down there. For these kids that mean a lot to us, and that's just the start of tonight, hopefully we can uh, have conversations about this during the night. I will be doing my annual tournament again, most likely late February, early March, that raises funds for them. And we are working on a big plan at the moment to try and get these kids a bus uh, to help the reduce the amount of time between school to training. So... As everybody knows, the more time you can get these kids with a ball, the more likely they are going to have a smile on their face, and that's ultimately the goal. Tonight, as well, is a goal to put everyone's smile on their faces. We're just going to have a chat about the game. Very laid-back, relaxed atmosphere. We've got a bunch of guests uh, that i like to thank their time for in different areas. A few people here tonight I know love the game, but also a few people are here who love the industry. Some are in the industry. Some want to get in the industry. Some want to know more about the industry. I think that... If you fall under any of those categories, you're going to enjoy the night. We've got representatives from our local team here, Toronto FC, and then different facets of the media digital, different facets of, of uh, online, and also the TV world as well. So, um, my first guests will be from Toronto FC. Worked with both these two before at the score. Um, so, if Devang and Sean K can come up here, we'll get the evening started. So we do have a Tottenham and an Arsenal fan up here. Arsenal!
1: Yeah. Arsenal!
0: Amazing they still work together, considering that they hated rivalry. They do they do share a love, I think I can speak for you, Devang, but they do share a love of Harry Kane. Favourite player. <laughs> easily. easily <laughs> here, so. And that's his, his favourite player, and he's the Arsenal <laughs> fan. So, um, Sean, we'll start with you. If you can just introduce yourself, and um, obviously we'll get to your love for the sport in a second, but just let everyone know what you do within Toronto FC.
2: So I run the uh, the digital and mobile team for Toronto FC. So anything from the mobile app um, to the website to the social account, uh, anything you see pretty much uh, out there, uh, front-facing from uh, from a digital platform, uh, that comes through uh, my team. Uh, that includes uh, Devang, um, and then there's sort of a front-end uh, developer and designer, and then as well as an email team. Uh, but any anything that we're we're communicating to you, whether it's news. Um, sales or anything else through there um it it comes through our team um i am first and foremost a tfc fan i think that's why we work really well as a team here um because we understand who we're talking to because we're talking to ourselves Uh, i know it's in a weird way but i think that's the big thing is that we know or we try to know what the fans want and i think that's that's where we come out and, and try to do our best
0: He's not lying. He was a huge Toronto FC fan. <laughs> I worked with him before he got the job. Um the also someone I worked with at the score go back many years. Those memories of the Saturday mornings in the newsroom <laughs> of uh, just yelling at your, people, yeah. Just yelling at people, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the highs and lows of watching Arsenal basically. Right. For you. Right. Um let everybody know uh, your role and then we'll get into your uh, your love for, for Arsenal Wenger.
3: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I work under Sean, we are a team, but I guess basically give you guys the good news and the bad news about Toronto FC, and sometimes it's more worse than not, sometimes it's better than not, but in general it's creating creating stories out of being with the team, traveling with the team, kind of getting a, a sense of what's going on behind the scenes, but also kind of making it bridge the gap between the the ins and the outs, and also, like Sean said, kind of making it... I'm a fan first and foremost, and sometimes that makes it harder than not to actually be like, you know what, this is what's going on, actually. But I think the idea is to deliver
0: a message that I earnestly believe in, no matter what. Sounds good. I want to share a quick story. Um, you said that you're a fan and you work for Toronto FC. So some people did think at one point you're a player. I have to share this story. <laughs> we're in we're, we're in uh, we're in New York this year, and. Um, when we do a broadcast on tsn we come to you about seven minutes before kickoff and when you see the arrival shot most of you who've got a brain will realize it's not live because they're not just arriving at the stadium seven minutes before they kick off but we always roll in the arrival shot you always see that in the opening and our producer works with a cameraman, and I'm down there sometimes, to get the shot as the players are often coming off the bus. It's the off-the-bus shot. It doesn't work at New York because they come from a different place, so we actually got them walking through the tunnel. So our producer works with the cameraman, and you get, they get the shot, Toronto FC, walking in into the dressing room. And they roll it, and it's coming up. And I see it on air, uh, just about to go on air, and the first person they show is Devang. <laughs> And Devang is walking in, just as footballers are, and he's looking at his phone like this. And I'm like, so I messaged Devang right away about five minutes before we go out. I said, message all your family and friends. You're about to be on TSN. So I don't know how it worked out or what the, what the mix-up was. Let's but just say the vine I captured was amazing. <laughs> it was fantastic. <laughs> uh, there we go. Let's go with vines. Um, so your responsibility, obviously, as you said, is, is the good and the bad. But... Mm-hmm. What about content? Like, how important is continuous content, even on off weeks or off days that aren't that aren't news? Is it important to continue to capture in people's minds the image of Toronto FC?
3: I think so. I think if y- if you're afforded the access and if you're given that chance, it's it's nice to know a bit w- uh, more about the players. Maybe not so much off, like on the field, where you see what they do for ninety minutes, but you see them live their lives off the field and also in training, going to work every day, just like we do, but obviously very differently because we're a lot of us are not going to go kick a ball around and train for a game every every weekday. But I think humanizing people that when we only see the good and the bad, it's kind of difficult. And I think if you're able to put a a face to someone who maybe made a mistake maybe a week ago and maybe caused a loss that, that matters to them. And it seems like it doesn't because we see it in such a vacuum, but it definitely does affect them probably more so than us, even as fans, even though fan, as the definition goes, we're fanatics. But still, these people are phased by things that happen every day. And I think putting a face to the name of what happens is important. And I think also not glossing over the fact that, yes, if you make a mistake, you make a mistake. That's like, just how it goes.
0: Yeah, that's a great point. Sean, let me turn to you. Um, obviously, you work for Toronto FC, and we're all pretty fortunate to realize that this club in the city is still making headlines even today in terms of what happens. Take me back to when you were brought in on meetings on the Javinko thing. Because obviously, from a fun- from a football point of view, when you play a signs like that when Sebastian Javinko signs like that for a team like Toronto FC your role you and Devang's role becomes enormous because you suddenly the club is become look- looking at in, in so many different other areas uh, take me back to that and what some of the strategies were we'll get to what happened during the season in yeah. a second but what some of the strategies were before Javinko even kicked the ball here
2: well I think the big thing that I realized is that I sort of went back to a year before that when my first day on the job of, of just being is the this the
0: Defoe car story because <laughs> you were in the car with him as well, weren't you, Jifre? I was not in the car, right, but
2: yeah. uh, but no, the, my my first day uh, on the job, I was uh, hired to be the community manager, which is Devang's current job. Um, I walked into a meeting, an hour into it, and said, Jermaine Defoe signing, which was the worst kept secret in Toronto media. But the little caveat on there was that Michael Bradley was about to sign. And me, I kept to myself, but me being a smartass, was like, are you guys talking about Michael Bradley or Bob Bradley? Are you guys making a huge mistake here? But I kept it to myself, thank God. Um, But then, obviously, um, Michael was a part of it. And, And when Seba and the whole entire story of him coming through, even though it was so hard to believe being told this, it was sort of like, let's forget about being a fan. Let's remember that crazy things do happen, and what is the strategy, and what do we need to do to To understand the story and understand how the fans are going to react to this and how should we cover it. Um, I think when we were told that he was going to arrive uh, through the airport when he was uh, officially signed to join us uh, right away, um, it was sort of like, how do we get different shots in the airport? How do we, how do we make sure we get behind security? How do we how do we tell the entire story more than just what the fan who shows up to the airport can see? So I think it's getting the the different areas of uh, of the shot and and the story. Um, I think you want to know what the fan wants to know, the person who doesn't even know anything about Sebastian Javinko wants to know, and then on top of that, sort of the um, the person who is who. Who knows who Sebastian Javinko is, but doesn't know everything about him. So there's the sort of the three angles that you want to take at it, and that's sort of how we sort of approached it. And I think it's the way we approach everything we want to do, because not only are you talking to the fan, but you also want to talk to the f- the person who you want to be the fan. So you have to sort of have that enticement to it as well.
0: That's great. Devang, let's go back to the night of October 14th, and we're in the press box watching the Blue Jays play across <laughs> across the road. And... The highs and lows of that were pretty interesting to watch. <laughs> um, then we all go do our jobs, and the game. there's a game that kicks off. And obviously, we all know what happens at the end. Sebastian Javinko was in Rome that morning and ends up scoring the winning goal to take Toronto <laughs> FC to their first ever playoffs. When that goal goes in, how does that change your night? I look at Sean first, and I'm like, did that just happen?
3: What? <laughs> what? what the the supporter shield contender though the front runner we did that to them, yeah. Ronald Zubar, what happened to you <laughs> done, wasted I, I, I incredulous, I guess the reaction was, did that just happen? I cannot believe it We've all heard the story, but i just in general, like forget jet lag, for everything else, from being in a different continent to coming here and scoring easily the biggest goal in the club's history was. Gigantic, And after that goal went down, I went down in the field to capture the final like 10 minutes right after the game, the euphoria. And just seeing people who had been with this club for so long and seeing the trials and tribulations and a lot of moments that we don't want to remember. But this moment was so gigantic and seeing the elation was one of the cooler things. Seeing Jonathan Osorio celebrating with the supporters right after the final whistle was one of those moments where I am. This is my job. I get to be on the field and watch this and document this. I I couldn't believe it. It was amazing.
0: Yeah, we're all pretty fortunate. I was down there on the sidelines as well, and and I know John Conway's here tonight. And I remember seeing the bo- the uh, bench reaction. Maybe we'll talk to John a little bit like that later. But I think Greg Vani was almost on his knees. <laughs> it was uh, it, it was it was a moment where people could, couldn't believe it. Sean, when that happens, um, does the fan stop and the the businessman start thinking, "How do we go here?"
2: Yeah, it's actually crazy because everyone around me was having the greatest time, and even going back and watching the video that uh, All for One captured, you can hear Devang in the background screaming <laughs> with with Jonathan and and the fans just let Let's go and it and that brings a smile to my face because I don't remember those moments, and that's fine because the job that i'm in and the job that we have to understand that there's a job that comes first and you have to change that background you have to change that front page on the website you have to send out those videos you have to send out everything that you just get into this weird zone where where everything around you even though it's the biggest moment that everyone else in the world is enjoying it it matters but it matters to everyone else around you not not the person being involved um there's a little bit of bittersweet in that because of being a fan and being somebody who supported the team for so long. But at the same point, looking back on that moment and, and understanding that I was a, I was a part of, of, of telling the world that our team, my team has reached this, this milestone and I was the one telling the story. We were the ones telling that story. Well, it's, Europe
0: was sleeping, right? I mean, that plays a big part in it. Europe, are, Europe yep. is asleep when that happens and you've got a few hours to make sure that they wake up to that moment.
2: Exactly. And I think the the amount of, like, when talking to Clay from All for One and saying we need to get Dwayne De Rosario celebrating the win, we need the fans celebrating the win, we need to be in the locker room, we need to be in, in certain spots, we need... Having written pieces, we need to have short pieces, we need to have long pieces. We need to have every single thing that people can consume, whether they want, right now, they want something to to really, really think about, or if they want something that they can just sit and watch at their desks. There there needs to be all different. 30 seconds, 5 minutes, 30 minutes. It needs to be across the entire landscape.
0: Final question. Sean, you can keep all that for you for one second. Final question. We'll get, we'll get Joe Ross up here in a second. Um, and Devang, I'll get you in on this as well. December 2nd, Javinko wins MVP. And I'm not saying this because you guys are here. I, I would tell you this anyway, but I, I thought it was one of the finest moments that the, the websites had and the entire digital team at your club has had because it wasn't just a news story on the, on the website. It, it was so much more and there was so much to consume. Um, that was the final product, what we all got to see. When did that begin and, and what kind of process was that to put in place?
2: It, it took about a month. Um, we, we sort of had the idea... That Seba was going to win, obviously leading in goals in sense. Uh, and for
0: those who aren't aware, like maybe just talk talk those who didn't see it through what the idea was that that you came up with.
2: So what we wanted to do was sort of reach out to the fan who's been with Seba the entire process, the twenty two goals, the reading the articles, every single piece from him landing to him sort of making that final push in the playoffs. We wanted to do the entire journey, but not in a, a complete linear way. So we wanted to sort of break it out into sections. And so what we did is we, we, we did a 22 like video section where it's all 22 goals, and then included the, the intro to them at the airport, and then sort of the animated short. Um, the animated short is something that we can talk about uh, offline if you want to, because I think that was one of the greatest things that we've done this year as well as sort of a marketing and brand team. Um, but I think we wanted to make sure that that story was told so the fan understood the entire thing. But then also, from the other part, we want to make sure that Europeans who, who didn't really follow the entire season wanted to show up and, and understand how great he was so that we had sort of a bit of a, uh, a different way of like not only us telling people how great he was, but including articles from Christian, uh, Kurt, um John Molinaro uh, Jesse March just people around the league to say hey it's not us just sort of like telling everyone our player is great the whole north american soccer scene is telling everyone this guy had the greatest season in in pretty much mls history so we wanted to make sure that we covered all of our bases and tell it in once again as i said in a short form a long form and 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 even in like a middle form where that if you're if you're at home looking at it if you're at work, work looking at it or if you're in the washroom looking at it. There's something for you. Uh, and and I think also- I think there was
0: people probably in the washroom.
2: <laughs> but you then, don't, lie, we all check our phones in the washroom. Right? The we're not above easy. it. But then on top of that, <laughs> sorry. We were at washroom.
0: <laughs>
2: <laughs> that I'm gonna stop at that point.
0: That's the time when you gotta hand it over <laughs> to your assistant to help you out a little bit, I think. Devang, just
3: obviously you were heavily involved in that as well. I think I. Uh, so, this was my first full year I joined with TFC at the end of last year. But Seba coming here, and it kind of helped me actually just see how my year went and, and how I progressed from working here full time and just going back through all the moments. It was kind of like a yearbook where you just went and saw everything that he did and everything that we'd went through as a, a team together. And it was just a, a nice bow on what he did for this franchise, for this city. I think. Outside of probably Josh Donaldson, you might be the most important figure as an individual athlete that we've seen in the past maybe 20 years. So it was just nice to actually, and and this was Sean's vision, this is something that he thought about a month in advance. I think Kai Kamara had a great year, but l- I think we all knew this was his yeah, award to win, sure. right? So it was just nice to see a vision come true and, and get get the recognized uh recognition they deserve.
0: Well, and, and now you two get the recognition because generally it was, it was a brilliant job. Uh, before I let you go, question for you, Devang. Um, Man United are rubbish. Trash. Chel- trash. Chelsea, Chelsea are rubbish. Complete trash. Like, um, trash. No, absolute trash. Man City are inconsistent. <sighs> so are, are we going to finally see Arsenal win a Premier League this season? Yeah! I, I was saying this. No, come on. I want to R- know. Give us... Sure, sure.
3: Gi- Give us Barcelona. Let's see. Let's see in the Champions League. Let's see. I might as we might as well.
0: <laughs> 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 Enough of that nonsense. Uh, give us Barcelona. <laughs> <laughs> I'm recording this. <laughs> give us Barcelona, he said. No, no, you're done. done. No, no, <laughs> you're done. You're done. Continue it off stage. Uh, Sean, uh, big Tottenham fan. Um, I'm In fact, a massive Tottenham fan. Um, are you going to make top four? No, no, it's recorded and no, no. So who's not gonna be? Who, hold on, who's gonna beat you? Leicester's gonna beat you f- to the top four. Is that is that what you're saying? No. So okay, so they're not beating you. Man United beating you? Yep. Man City. Yep. Arsenal. Yeah. Who else?
2: Liverpool.
0: Okay, Liverpool. All right, there you have it, everybody. You can't, um, you,
2: you, can't you can't drop three points to Newcastle. Sorry, Stevie. <laughs> <laughs> We
0: will hear from Mr. Caldwell very soon, but a uh, round of applause for these two fine gentlemen. Thank you. Before we start, hey guys. Mr. Ross is uh, one of my best friends. We go way back, and uh, we worked at The Score for over 10 years together, and now we just spend the majority of our time in sports stadiums together watching yeah. different <laughs> sports around the world where we've been, New Camp. Uh, many, many, many baseball stadiums.
4: Yeah. Uh, bowling ground. Bowling ground. Where James Sharman actually, on his way to the bowling ground, ate the biggest hamburger I've ever seen in my <laughs> life. It was one of those, it had it like... Was an egg burger, wasn't it? it? There was a fried egg and like a chicken breast, and he was... It was bigger than his face. He was basically asleep at the <laughs> 60th minute. Not that there was a lot, it was West Ham <laughs> it Stoke on a Monday night. It was, and Le- it night, was West so it was Ham <laughs> Stoke, I was going to say. <laughs> it was pretty, it wasn't exactly a barn burner, but... no.
0: He was falling asleep. That's true. Uh, yeah. So we have spent many times uh, at sports stadiums. Uh, Joey, just for the audience out here, give us a, give them uh, an idea of what you currently do at the Score.
4: Uh, I'm the head of product and content at the Score, so that's the it basically involves planning the the roadmap for development features for the app and the content team as well. So you know what we're publishing article wise don't care if you get embarrassed, but he is one of the Ah. smartest
0: men I've ever met. And he he knows more about football than anybody in this building. Um, I I, I would. (laughs) No, 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 you're not allowed to say anything. Um, Let's get into, (laughs) he's also a massive Canadian soccer fan and can go way back in terms of his love. It's really a, it's a difficult relationship with Canadian soccer and you, isn't it?
4: Yeah, but you know, if you've never really known anything else, I guess it's, this is true (laughs) we've had some high moments of the gold cup win was amazing um but it's it's interesting though because at the start when i first started the score in december 2000 if you liked soccer and you didn't have an accent you were really weird like (laughs) there there was nobody in the building you were an outcast it was like oh the new guy likes soccer that was Joe. It it was really strange, and then you would get holed up with James Sharman in an edit suite all day because it's like, oh yeah, the new guy likes soccer. He can he can write for Sharman. and if you told them, if they asked you who your who your favorite national team was, and you said Canada, I was like, what? They have a there. There was just so much. They have a team. Yeah, yeah. A, lo- a lot of that stuff. So you'd have to. I I,
0: I my role came pretty soon after that. And I can now say this: We did have one of the executives on a tour once come into our edit suite and say, "These guys do sports from yesterday, didn't?"
4: They, <laughs> <laughs> they just did. they do yesterday's news. That's what they do. But um, somehow that's how, it, that, that's how uh, it was looked at. But somehow, gradually, soccer it started becoming more mainstream in our newsroom. People started to get captivated by afternoon Champions League games, especially penalties in in knockout games. And then it was it's. It's crazy now where you if I go to a college everybody wants to write about soccer which is in 15 years is incredible it's to consider how far how popular the game is now in the country compared to then and even the visibility of the you know the the Canadian men's team and the women's team um and Major League Soccer it's 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 so different from the from the outcast days and even more different from you know, 1994, when you had to take the bus to the Pickering Town Center to get the only British magazine to actually figure out what was going on or watch Graham Leggett on Saturday, it's it's a completely different field now. So there's way more opportunity. You are you were ahead of your time, and th- that's one of
0: the major reasons why I wanted to talk to you about it. Because being in 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 the industry, why why do you think that is? Is it m- just more access, more live games, um, time time slots? I mean, you've traveled the world with these meetings around the world, of programming yeah. meetings and everything, just to, to figure this out more and more. I mean, look at the the rights in, in every country of every
4: uh, of the Premier League, the rights are just doubling every time. For sure, the, the access on tele like again, the, the amount of games you can watch in a Canadian living room now is, is incredible. So that you've got a, a lot of people exposed to the game through television. Plus the internet as well. It it came along at just the right time for uh, for a lot of people to to get introduced to the game because again you'd be reading 442 or shoot magazine or something from two months ago trying to figure out what was happening in the game in the 90s and now just with everything you have um, it's just so many places to get information on the game and I think that's really helped fans get closer especially if you're a fan of a team overseas now you can you have a lot of fans that have Maybe never even been to England that have a strong bond with a with a club over there. So, yeah, and you've you've led many teams now in terms of
0: underneath you in terms of how you cover different events. Um, we did it together in 2010, the the World Cup at the score. We had obviously combined rights with CBC. We had an evening show. Uh, but every single time we were watching every game in the green room, and we lived there basically. You were in there doing that as well, and you're obviously all the stuff you did on on site. So, before we get into what you're running and doing now, talk about maybe that and what you, how you look at a major tournament, and 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 how you plan for
4: something like that. Well, I, I guess when we look at, um, at at that time with the score and what we would do now around a major tournament is, um. People want everything now, I think, with uh, with the mobile age. So we look at real-time news, real-time context. So we've got our team here uh, sitting down at the, at the table just next to us. So they're great at, and this is this why... You they're
0: keeping close to you, right? <laughs> well,
4: this is why when we're bringing people in now to, to write about the game, it's so important to know the game as well as these guys do because if somebody, you know, if uh, you know, Dimitri Payet, breaks his leg you know you have to be able to then write about that almost instantly because people want the context straight away so there's no time to be you know kind of pontificating for a couple weeks before you get your piece out so that's really the way we look at things now is it's it's real-time news and then the context also has to be in real time now as well because that's just what audiences demand is hey something happened tell me what do I need to know about this how is this gonna affect my team going forward you have a large audience I believe with the score in the US
0: as well. It's right? our
4: biggest audience,
0: yes. Right. So it's far bigger than anything here. Yeah. Yeah.
4: So how does that affect or does it affect how you uh deliver the news? Um it does it does affect how we deliver um news in in terms of Major League Soccer. I mean, we have a huge Toronto audience as well with the score, so there's a fine line, but we have to respect that we're you know, we're writing for an audience that whether they love the Premier League or whether they love MLS You you have to take away any kind of Canadian bias because you know that can be a turnoff if you're a big fan of the Columbus Crew and the MLS news section is just full of stories about the Montreal Impact or Toronto FC um, that's just not going to fly. So I think that's really the way you have to look at things is you have to have that global perspective. Now for us, we still use uh, the entire app has American spelling but we still use British Canadian spelling in the soccer section because that's really what people look to towards um, in terms of relevance, right? For um, It would be weird to, to have Americanisms in, sure. in, in, yep. uh, in a game that in, for English speakers is really dominated by Britain. So, um, and we actually use our transfers in, in pounds. Um, that was a big thing for me too, because I always hear about transfers in Canadian dollars or American dollars. And I'm trying to, like, calculate in my head, well, what is that compared to what Rio Ferdinand was sold for? So we just stuck with pounds the whole time because that's just the currency of how everybody understands what a a sale was. Yeah, exactly. That's pretty much how
0: I use it as well. Um, Before I let you go, obviously the European Championships next season, um, next summer, and you've been through a number of major tournaments now. What will the plans be for that? How do you guys go into that in terms of... Making sure that the consumer of the score just gets everything and more that they want. Do you um, inform your team of certain teams that are more popular than others, for example?
4: Well, I mean, we have data on the the most followed teams. I mean, for for the most part, I mean, it's it's fairly obvious, you know, like France is going to have a lot more followers than Albania. But, you know, you got Gianluca, who's probably already working on the plan now, the key for us is planning ahead of time and, and having that um, that framework to work on as we go in. And then that just allows us to kind of read and react to the major stories. But these guys are going to be in a room. We call it the war room. Just six giant plasma screens. Is this how you watch Champions League 2? Yeah. yeah. It's pretty sweet, actually. Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's um, the worst things to do at work, right? <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that'll be the that'll be the key for us is, you know, hammering these long shifts. The real-time news, real-time context has just been the core of what always does well, which always performs well on the score. Um and and yeah, it, it, I mean for for us we're we're about uh delivering news mechanisms to updating that sort of thing. Also um previewing, teeing up what's coming, what's uh looking back. But for us the big thing is that that real-time context as well so that if something happens you immediately understand how that's going to affect the tournament going forward that's great thanks Joe and I know there's a few
0: people here who have asked to see Joe tonight so i sure now you know where he is he can introduce yourself and, and speak to him thanks yeah, very much Joe. Over there <laughs> let's get mr. Caldwell up here Sure, you don't want to drink, bring your drink with you or anything.
4: Finish
0: you finished it, okay. <laughs> this man needs no introduction. That's for sure. Often seen with us now on TSN, sometimes. So maybe we'll talk about that, shall we? <laughs> oh, <thanks. laughs> um, let's get to uh, your current role. Obviously, you're still within a club of Toronto FC. You're no longer playing. Um, we'll get to the transition from off the field in, in a second, but. I know you very well and I know how much you love this club but maybe you can just let everybody else know just because every single time you talk about it I can see the passion in you and what 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 that club means to you.
5: Yeah thanks KJ and thanks for having me here um I came here first in May 2013 on an initial six-week loan period and uh it was a nice opportunity for the club to um look at me and assess if i was good enough and they, they wanted to spend the, the dollars on me and if uh if this city and this this football club was the right fit for me and um pretty much from day one i was i was hooked uh, i knew this was a place thank you great <laughs> service now that that's service for you There. <laughs> pretty much from um the first day i knew that this was a place i wanted to be it was uh a perfect fit and um I felt that I could really help. Obviously we were uh, lacking a lot of quality at the time but I could sense that the years of uh, of hurt and lack of playoff appearance was was uh needed to change and uh and I felt that I, I could do that uh, or I could help that that process and uh very quickly I was I was made the captain and um hopefully led led that group of guys in, in the, the the future signings and, and team forward and, uh, you know, as a city and as, a, as an organisation, I've uh, got total admiration and respect. And I know for a fact that they're absolutely committed to to doing the right things to make sure that, that this club wins and that will not stop until we, we achieve success.
0: What What about Toronto? What about North America and the lifestyle over here? Obviously, something I can talk about in terms of the... I always tell people that the positivity of North America just screams at you compared to, to, to home. You've got kids you've got obviously you misses as well, and you guys are still very happy here even post playing days. what is it about this North American lifestyle that you love so much?
5: well I think that the, the for the kids it's absolutely amazing I think there's so many different uh opportunities and and sports and access to these sports that we that we don't really see in the u k um and I also think that, that the standard eleven is is obviously reasonably expensive but but very comfortable and uh I know that my two boys love it here and I'd, I'd love to give them that, that opportunity to grow up here and uh, and at least experience the, the early part of their childhood heading into their sort of early teens in, in Canada, especially I, I do think that I love the States too, but I do think that Canada is a special country and, and we live in one of the best cities in the world. And I often tell people that who are, are born and bred here and look to maybe move to the UK or to Europe or, or somewhere else that they they don't quite realize that they're living in one of the best cities in the world and they, they should really appreciate it. Yeah, amen
0: to that. Um Before we get to you off the field, so you come over 2013, obviously made a big difference. Uh, captain came over from playing at a very high level majority of games in the championship in England. People often compare the leagues, Major League Soccer and the championship. Is, is that a fair and accurate comparison?
5: Yeah, I, th- I think so, KG. I think that... Um Major League Soccer is is obviously a little bit slower in terms of build up, which is, a, in my opinion, a positive thing. The Championships, uh, forty six games a season, uh, two cup competitions on top of that, and and hopefully a, a playoff run, which could be uh, three games. So you know it's a real grueling schedule, and uh, I think that that's detrimental to the quality of the league. and And a lot of times uh, you're banged up and you're tired and you're just grinding at results and and uh, the quality of football is not quite there, and I think the Major League Soccer is, is probably a similar standard of the player, but uh, the guys are allowed to express themselves a little bit better because of the... the Maybe the weather plays a part, the, the pitches are usually better, and of course it's a summer league, so it's usually, uh, you know, positive conditions to, to, to play good football. So, uh, yeah, championship for me is a very good comparison. Uh, there's players here that... Are not really recognised uh, in in Europe or throughout the world, and uh, I'm thinking they maybe I, I don't want to come up with an example, but like a sort of mid twenties uh, young North American guy who's who's kind of not really known outside the MLS. But when you get here, you realise the quality that they have and the, the the potential they have to go and play in in bigger leagues around the world. And I think it's up to to us as a league to make sure that we incentivise these guys properly to keep them in this league. Uh, The last thing we want to do now is is lose the quality that we have uh, to other leagues in Europe. And I think that then, obviously, on top of that, we need to keep bringing in the the quality in South America and European players at a younger age that can can take us to that next level. What about the international
0: uh, perception of, of the league? You remain extremely connected around the world. Your brother's obviously current manager of Wigan. You've got so many friends in the game. Um, what do your colleagues and friends around the game talk about, particularly from in Europe about about Major League Soccer now? Did, and if a player is linked with a club, you, you know, I'm sure you're, some of your friends, you're one of the first people they call.
5: Yeah, absolutely. I think that, that it's, it's growing all the time. I think that there was a certain snobbery in, in the UK when uh, when people were first coming here, uh, maybe from David Beckham onwards, where they felt it was uh, a place that people came to retire and, uh, and take it easy and. Enjoy their life instead of focusing on their profession, and I do think that that's changing. I think obviously David was a large part of, of helping that that change come around by coming here and being in the latter stages of his career, and obviously having being less mobile than he had been, but but still having that desire to, to win and to to uh, achieve. I think two MLS cups he had before he left MLS. So uh, yeah, it's it's since then uh, people are, are realizing that this is is. Uh, great potential for talent. It's obviously very difficult to to place their players. I think that they, they, they play, like I said, in a, a far slower, more precise league to the championship. So usually the guys go to Premier League teams and then it's difficult to really know if they have the quality to, to fit in on a regular basis for Premier League teams. But that's uh, no slur against the player. I think it's just uh, an example of the, the, the standard of the Premier League and the, the, the fine lines and and margins and level it takes to to play consistently in that league.
0: I've spoken to my colleague Jason DeVos about this, and he talks openly about this too, about the the difficulties players have the moment their careers come to an end. It's a little bit different with you in terms of you're still within the club, but there are so many examples, and this isn't just in soccer, this is just in so many professional sports now, and many people think they earn so much money that they don't deserve our, you know, you know, our thoughts, but it's talk about that because I know you 've got your head screwed on really well, and I know you know you're, you you're very much got you're grounded about that, but even for you i'm sure it, it 's it's, it's difficult it must have been difficult because this is still even fresh for you. I mean this time last year, you were still a player, you started last season, you got injured in Columbus, that ended up being your final the final half of you you came off at half time um i've seen you playing a charity game recently, you can still play <laughs> uh, so how hard is it? I mean, realistically,
5: yeah, it's it's extremely hard. It's um, it's the only thing you've really known since uh, I guess thirteen or fourteen years old, when you when you you hope and you you, you commit to to soccer uh, and and being the best you can, which is the sacrifices. Obviously, I'm stopped sacrificing the same things as I used to, like the beer and uh, and things like that. But um, yeah, you you have to sacrifice so much, and and it's it's what you know and what you love and. Uh, If you're lucky enough, the very few that are lucky enough to get there, um, never want it to end. And I think that I never quite appreciated it as much when I was was younger. I was very anxious. I wanted to to rise and rise and rise and get better and earn more caps and play more times in the Premier League. And eventually you get to almost 30 and then you you, kind of see the end and you're like, right, how do I prolong this and how do I keep playing for as long as, as I possibly can? And... That's certainly how I felt. I really, really appreciated the last four or five years of my career. Um, I loved every minute. I hoped I could play till I was, I was about forty, and I felt really good. And then I, I came into a, a string of injuries that were, that were niggly and uh, and frustrating. And um, I guess if I was in an English team and I had two years on a contract or something, then I would probably have, I probably have stayed as a player and, and, and seen how I reacted to the injuries but uh, in light of the fact that we play in a salary cap league and, and I wanted the team to be successful and I was unsure if I could even get on the park this last season at any point that it was the right time to, to look at other opportunities and to, to use my cap in, in another sense and, and allow Greg and his staff to bring in another defender that could possibly help us to to achieve glory and that's what I did. A, you know, probably once a week or or more. Uh, I sometimes think I regret that decision. That was it the right decision? Should I go back? You know, I, I missed the game. Like you would never believe. Uh, not all the time, but I'll be watching a match and uh, listening to KJ and Jason's excellent analysis. Uh, analysis, I should say. And yourself? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and uh, and I'll just feel uh, you know a real pang in my my stomach because. I wish I was out there, and I wish I could make a pass or a block or a tackle or a header, and uh, I don't know if that's ever going to leave me. And that's that's the sort of things that people don't appreciate when when we retire. And I'm sure Jace will uh, echo my exact sentiments. You
0: played under some wonderful managers. I mean, Roberto Martinez comes to mind, but so many others. I
5: know you're a big fan of, of
0: Chris Hughton as well. Um, do those two stand out as as the best ones?
5: Uh, yeah, I mean th- they're so different in every sense and, and even the bad ones, uh you know, Roy Keane guys that I really disliked and never got on me. <laughs> uh has this been recorded? Oh no, he's gonna find me now. <laughs> 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 Tell him I'm in Toronto, he can find me here. Uh no. Yeah, so you pick up everything from every manager and I think that um Chris Chris was one of my favourites, Chris Shootin actually. He was a fantastic, uh very organized manager, very um Plain spoken and precise and allow the guys to, to kind of manage themselves, which which I, I, I like, especially if you've got the right group of players and you allow them to be men and make decisions and, and sort of uh, sort out issues yourself. And Roberto is a complete tactician and, uh, you know, a real thinker of the game, literally would watch every single game you could think of. Um, you know, South America, Europe, obviously every game in the UK, knew every league in the UK, and uh, I do think that that he's going to go on and and, and be a very successful manager at a, a high high level. He's at a high level just now, but I do think he may be Barcelona manager or or something like that one day. And and then uh, you know I have the old school guys like uh, maybe Walter Smith or Mick McCarthy, these sort of guys who who were pretty scary fellas, uh, not <laughs> n- not tacticians as much, but, uh, you know, Walter could cut a room in a second. I, when he goes for somebody in that dressing room, and, and, and it's in a, you know, he was 60, 63 maybe, but when I had him in Scotland, and so he wasn't a quite as, uh, as aggressive as he, as, he, as he had been, but uh, he would sort of look at a guy, and you, you'd be squirming, you knew it wasn't you, but you'd be thinking, is this me? Like you're literally, your heart would be beating at your chest. It was that scary. So uh, there's there's all kind of different types, now. I'm not sure that that guy can survive in modern day football. But uh, you certainly pick up a little bit from all of them. I once asked you about
0: um, the most difficult player you played against, and you told a great story about Thierry Henry once. And I think he scored four goals in the game, yeah, maybe yeah. for Le- against Leeds. Maybe you can share that. <laughs>
5: So th- the first team I played against them was Newcastle against uh, Arsenal at, at Highbury. And they were 5-0 up in the, the 61st minute. And I remember looking at the clock <laughs> and thinking, oh my God, there's 30 minutes to go here. This could be like 10. They were they were that good. They they, they subbed Henri and Canu and they brought on Thord and Bergkamp. So it was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, that yeah, was severe. Uh, so... That was that was one time, and then and then we I was fortunate enough, and I, I do think fortunate to have played against the Invincibles. Uh, I played for Leeds at the time. I was on loan there for for six months, and we went to Highbury again on a Friday evening. Sky had a Friday evening game then, and, uh, and they it, it were just ridiculous. There was no way that any guy and our team could double up and and help his teammate because we had so much trouble with the guy that we were we were facing then we got four and the last one uh, Gary Kelly tripped him up as he was as he was throwing goal and as he was falling he, he stabbed it with his, with his toe like he does only he can do and spun it past Paul Robinson into in the corner and uh, you know we, we get in the changing room at the end of the game Eddie Grazer coach uh, I don't know you, you guys might know Eddie Gray a Scottish player for the 70s a fantastic player for Leeds he looks at everybody in the dressing room or lying there you know sitting there despondent, and he, he says we well, didn't they actually play that bad didn't I? <laughs> We had played well and we had lost five 0 So uh, I think that shows you the level that that team was at.
0: Yeah, some great stories, and I'm sure we could share them all night. Um, I do want to ask you about post career and now, obviously, in the position you're at. I speak for everybody that you're. Uh, it's a pleasure to have you alongside us every Saturday morning when you're there and, and in the Champions League. How much you are you enjoying that in in the in the TV role as well?
5: I absolutely love the TV. Uh, I think you know KJ, but to everybody out there, I I, uh, I started in the, the the TV sense when I was still playing, and uh, and the guys Luke, Jason, KJ, uh, Milas, Andy, everybody I've worked with uh, were, were were very um, great with me to be honest. And uh, you know I was nervous to start with, and I felt it was something that I, I could be good at, but I needed some experience and and. Uh, I'm thankful and and it's a pleasure to to work alongside everybody I mentioned and uh, slowly but surely with a little bit more uh, TV time I I feel more comfortable, I I thoroughly enjoy it, Uh, I'd love to do it all the time or more uh, but I I appreciate the opportunities that I get and and I'm thankful that TSN uh, keep passing me back. And we're thankful that you came tonight, everybody, Stephen
0: Caldwell, thank Thank you. you. it is a transition and i think luke and jason are here are they here yeah Yeah. they're here so let's get the uh the other two gents from tsn up here onto the panel you okay we will uh work on a transition as we call it in the industry and we'll we can't get these two up without talking about Mr. Caldwell first. So,
1: sorry, before we start, I'd I like to buy the Norwich fan in the back there a drink. Uh, the group, please. Um, there's four of them. There's I know. Well, b- b- <laughs> b- buy them all a drink. Um, there's two reasons for that. One, they're either blind or two, they've had a really hard life. So, my condolences. Don't let it slide. I'm pass it sorry. down. Pass it down. <laughs> pass it down. <laughs> buy those people a drink. I was
0: wondering when you were going to notice him. I wasn't going to bring it to your attention.
1: The eyes haven't gone yet. Don't worry.
0: Jason doesn't like yellow and green together. He reminds us often. Um, Before we let Mr. Caldwell go out of our thoughts, uh, a word about him and his uh, transition onto our set.
1: Yeah, and uh, I'll start with a shameless plug. I sat down down with Stephen yesterday um, for about an hour and just did a one-on-one, just a chat about football and his life in the game. Um, and uh, our producer Tyler from TSM put it together this morning uh, and put it out on uh, on social media. So if you haven't gone on my Twitter feed, go and have a look at it and uh, and have a listen because it's a fascinating story. Um, we could have been there for hours, I think, eh, Stephen? <laughs> it, was, it was a trip down memory lane, and, and our careers, I was a little bit, a couple years in, in advance of Stephen, um, but we overlapped in so many different areas, and he quickly reminded me that they got promoted to the Premier League, and... We didn't at Ipswich, but um, never mind. Um, but it's a fascinating story, and, and I think um, S- Stephen won't want to talk about himself, and, and, and it's it's just a measure of the guy and what he's all about, that um, he's a leader, and he stepped away from his playing career for the benefit of the TFC, which is remarkable. I mean, that speaks volumes about why he was a captain and, and what, a, what a great leader he was. So... Go go have a listen to it. Listen to the story. Um, We'll probably have to do a part two because we never talked about Scotland either. Um, But we'll go back and do that at some point in time. So,
0: and Luke, we don't mind having another
6: defender on sometimes in the morning. Sometimes when Jason's not there. No, I'm all for Stephen coming full time because that would mean we would get rid of Jason. (laughs) That would (laughs) that would be perfect. And. This it is it just r- this is just too easy. I might as well go outside. Just let no, these two
0: up there. This is this is how we <laughs> perform. This is how it goes every morning uh, at our show.
6: It actually he reminded me that before I moved to Canada and was working for the BBC doing all the Leeds United games, I actually did the play by play on that game at Highbury where Thierry Henry scored four. I was so polite though about the defence of Leeds <laughs> that day. I didn't didn't say a bad bad word about Stephen, So that's okay.
0: Well, that's good because at least you didn't have the manager listening and calling you back, which has yeah. sometimes happened as well. That
6: was a common occurrence. For anyone who knows the name uh, Neil Warnock, um, and yeah, it makes an anagram of something that people... Uh, Colin Wanker, Yes, actually, they uh, call um, him. And there's a reason that he got that reputation. I would host the, uh, host the phone-in show every Saturday afternoon after, uh, while I was in Sheffield on the radio there. After all the United and Wednesday games. And he would listen without doubt every single time he was driving away from Bramall Lane. And would send me text messages while the show was going on. They wouldn't be informative messages. It would just say things like, shut this guy up. Or, if you know what's right for you, cut him off. Or, this guy talks garbage. If you want me to give you interviews, get rid of him. And other nice things like that. We were only banned from his press conferences maybe, maybe once a month for the course of each season, um, and yeah, he was uh, he was one of the probably the most challenging people that we had to deal with. When when he wanted something, he was your best friend, and it was great. He was fantastic. Like he would invite you round his house to do interviews, stuff like that. When you weren't any good for, you know, advancing him and his cause, then. Um, he would just walk past you in the street. And he would have his wife listen to your... He would have his sh- wife Commentary listen... Late. While it he's managing the game. Correct. So, yeah. <laughs> we were at Molyneux. <laughs> Wolverhampton <laughs> Wanderers against Sheffield United. And we were on our final warning because the summarizer, the, col- the analyst, a guy who used to play for Sheffield United called Keith Edwards, who is a legend there. Dobby will know all about uh, Keith Edwards. Yeah, he's, I, how he survived this long, I'm not sure. Um... He he didn't like Warnock, and he battered him on a regular basis, especially um, when they weren't playing particularly well. So we were on our final warning that if Keith said anything of a derogatory manner during the game at Wolves, um, he wouldn't talk to the BBC for the rest of the season. So about half an hour into the game, uh, Neil Warnock was standing there in his um, rain jacket, shorts and socks pulled up to his knees as he used to. <laughs> Looking ridiculous. (laughs) Um, And he got into it with a guy called uh, Kevin Muscat, who um, liked to get into stuff as well. They had history. Um, And the referee came over to Neil Warnock and sent him to the stands. And I just tried to keep talking so that Keith wouldn't get in and say anything. And I kept talking and talking, and it went on for about two or three minutes. Finally, I had to let him in because it went for a goal kick, and he had to say something. The first few words that came out of his mouth were, That guy is such a clown. <laughs> anyway, the lovely Sharon Warnock was listening at home. I walked into the press room at Molyneux. He ordered, he just looked at the, the door and said, Get out in front of all the rest of the media. Um, and that was just life under Neil Warnock. Great times. Yeah. I actually quite like him. To be, to be honest, he's, yeah. Greg, v- Greg Vanny's wife doesn't
0: listen to TSN's broadcast. I'm sure Greg Vanny's wife will. Yeah. Yeah. Probably. Uh, yeah. There you go. Um, let's get to that. You two are the, uh, the voice of Major League Soccer on TSN, Jason. Um, talk us all through what that's like, getting ready for a game with uh, stickers over here. And. Uh, Getting there three or four hours before the game, and and, and where it starts for the preparation. Uh,
1: well, we've we've. I think we took a joint decision that we were going to cut down the the advance prep time that we get because we usually get to the stadium three or four hours ahead of time, um, and there's never anything to do because there's no one there. So we end up just kind of looking around the place, walking around on the pitch, and and uh, Luke gets his stickers together. So what Luke and I have two very different approaches to um, to preparation. So. You remember the old Apple commercials where there was the Mac guy who was, like, young, trendy, hip kind of guy? And then there was the PC guy who wore, like, a button-down and a blue s- sweater vest and <laughs> jeans. and like. So Luke's the PC guy, and I'm the Mac guy. Um, I use technology, so I use my MacBook or an iPad or whatever, and I use different programs, and I do all my notes that way so I can pull up infinite number of information whatever um, or I can change it on the fly Luke has you know a, a manila folder that he opens up and he peels off the stickers and 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 he puts the stickers in the right formation and it's hilarious during the game because if it's a close game and one of the managers has to make a tactical adjustment, Luke's then in big trouble because he's got <laughs> stickers on his fingers and he's looking at his sheet trying to figure out what the formation change is and he doesn't know who, which players are coming off, which ones are going on, if players players are moving around, so it's a bit of a problem for him. So that's kind of how we, we, we have a different approach to it. But look, whatever works, um, it works for him, you know, and, and you're recording this? You, you yes, okay. yes, it's been recorded. That's good, because I'm, yeah. I'm actually going to say something nice about Luke. I'm going to say, you better rec- <laughs> get it out quick. Um, Lu- I've worked with a lot of different people over the years, and, and I've been very fortunate to work with some great people, but Luke is the best play-by-play that I've ever worked with. Uh, he he has a, just a way of calling the game that I- is exciting, even when you know, we have to polish... Uh, Polish the game a little bit. <laughs> um, Luke still has a way to to bring out the the excitement of the game, and and uh, you know he, he's meticulous in his preparation, and and certainly um, certainly does a, a fantastic job. So I, 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 that he, pain, wants, he needs that a was microphone. That was, that he, was painful. I've worked
6: with a lot of analysts, and and KJ's definitely the best. <laughs> you. Know, do regularly get battered by Jason, regularly. so that was that and was you. and by you. No, hold on a minute. You are of- in there as well. Often it's the too amount of grief I take from these two guys over the course of a regular week or show, or even now with Champions League we're in from. Well, you don't want to start this because we're in from twelve in the morning till seven at night, and it's just bash Luke for seven hours. Okay, really when is. you're
0: running around cheering every time Villa concede.
6: Yeah. <laughs> there is, there is nothing. There aren't many things more pleasurable in life. Than watching KJ watching Villa lose, <laughs> especially when they lose to Watford at home, conceding own goal. It's great. I actually think
0: Luke likes the fact that Villa lose more than Chef United win because we are fortunate this weekend to have uh, some interns come and join us as we as we work towards something, and they, they they've been great. And they're in the green room about seven thirty Saturday morning, eight thirty getting the coffee and. Luke's battering me already over Villa. So I'm just like, all right, who is Sheffield United playing today? You had no idea. (laughs) No, but you didn't know they played Sunday at the time. You had no idea. And and as we regularly tell you, unlike the Dobbies back there, you can't even name three current players on that squad. You're always going back to 1992. (laughs) Brian Dean. (laughs) He's like 75 years old now (laughs) or something. Who
1: do they play on the weekend? Who have you got this weekend? He has no idea. No idea. Um, is anybody here a fan of british uh, television british television shows G- has to be has to be he says okay um does anybody know who carl pilkington is yes. yeah? yeah carl pilkington okay luke Absolutely. wildman is is our carl pilkington <laughs> <laughs> so, so <laughs> I, I have to read this which I is can't pretty not
0: appro- read this it's pretty appropriate considering this is carl is pretty carl has a show called idiots abroad idiot abroad
1: yeah so uh, so Luke and I have been together for a few years now, and I, I, I know him, I think, as well as any uh Person on the planet apart from his wife, maybe. No, you probably know him. More I might than know her more better than his wife. We see a lot so, more of Luke than. <laughs> so Luke, uh, Luke says he's actually quite a funny guy. You know, surprisingly, because he doesn't come across that way. But um, <laughs> Luke, Luke is actually quite a funny guy, and he says things that just come out of nowhere, just like Carl Pilkington does. And sometimes I think Carl Pilkington is an act, but I know that Luke is not making this stuff up. This is just the way he is. This is his personality. And I'm actually going to write a book because for a year now I've been writing down some of these quotes and they're classics so it's going to be called <laughs> Luke says um, and the subtitle is I'm not a jerk it's personality um, which he did say <laughs> in a taxi <laughs> in Seattle <laughs> I remember so this is from uh, this is from this December 10th this was a couple of days ago so um, bear in mind Luke and his wife Canis have a dog dog's name is Penelope okay so, oh just a mental, yeah. there's a mental image of Luke in the park, Penelope, you know, yelling out <laughs> for his dog. Never, never mind. So, Luke turns to me. We're walking down the hallway at TSN the other day, going to the makeup room. And he says to me, oh, he says, Penelope started eating her own <laughs> 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 so, so, when I stop laughing, he says, <laughs> I'm conflicted. <laughs> On one hand, it's disgusting. On the other hand, it's great because it saves me having to clean it up. <laughs> he, 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 we, actually, ha- we have pages and pages <laughs> of these quotes. I, I keep it on my phone. It travels with me everywhere. It's Pages great. and pages.
0: Um, <laughs> we will regularly batter you, but I, I do want to echo what Jason said earlier about you being the finest MLS commentator who works with Jason on TSN. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> talk us through your week which often spends time in Starbucks preparing for commentary because I'm sure everybody in here has heard many of your calls and the things that you get out and 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 obviously prepare for for
6: seriously but talk us through what you prepare for in terms of of the game uh, that week on the weekend. I think one of the big things is it doesn't just start on a Monday. You have to know the league. You have to watch as many games as you can and and you know even when you get home um you have to pay attention to what's going on around the league. It's not just a case of watching the Canadian teams. It's a case of making sure you know exactly what has happened, and almost making sure that when you're in the stadium, you're the most informed person there. Obviously, the coaching staff know what's going on with both teams, but despite um, what Don Garber said recently, despite I don't <laughs> yeah. know what right? <laughs> about, about broadcasters. Oh, really? Yeah, I missed <laughs> that. <laughs> um, and it, he he uh, takes the piss about the stickers, but that's. That's the best way for me to remember stuff. And someone once said to me when I was um, when I was in journalism school, if you if you're doing play by play, or if you're doing a live broadcast, the likelihood is if you don't write it down, you'll forget it. Because in the heat of the moment, when something's happening on the pitch, or when you're being spoken to by the producer, whatever's going on, if you haven't got it written down, then you're probably not going to to remember to use that into the broadcast. And I think. It's it's a unique. I actually prefer doing radio play by play to TV because you get to describe what's happening, and and doing TV is a bit more of an adjustment, laying out, making sure sh- you know you don't have to tell people what's going on, and I find the radio call, um, I used to find it a bit more enjoyable in terms of being able to describe exactly what's going on on the pitch, but I think the role more from a TV play by play, especially here in North America, is, um to to not only entertain but also to educate as well because we've got a lot of people who are tuning in who probably don't know a lot about MLS if they're TFC fans they almost certainly wouldn't know a lot about Columbus or whoever they're playing against and I think that's one of the steps that the league has to take now moving forward to become um, not just a regional league where you turn up at BMO field and 23,000 people or 30,000 people now you know know all about their team but Crossing that bridge so that they'll also watch a game between D.C. and Columbus or they'll watch a game between Vancouver and Portland and and growing the league that way so that when when Columbus do arrive at BMO, it's not just maybe one player that everyone knows about, but they have that um, experience of the, the league as a whole. And that's something that I think we can do as broadcasters to try and make sure we can uh, we can not only entertain it, but but also as we do that, educate people about the league as well.
1: I think that's the next evolution for for the game in North America is that if you're a TFC fan you don't just watch TFC games you watch Columbus against Kansas City you you know you watch a Portland Seattle you watch a a Houston uh, against Dallas you know you're watching games around the league because on Monday night when Chelsea are playing Leicester everyone in England watches that game it's not just Chelsea and Leicester fans so that's the next step and I think from a preparation standpoint as a broadcaster um, I, I certainly watch every single game that gets played throughout the year. So it doesn't matter if it's just Vancouver, Toronto, Montreal, it's every game that's played in the league, all three hundred and forty of them. And and it's tough because you, you, you know, you spend countless hours watching games that in, in the big picture might be meaningless, but for me, I need to be I need to be confident going into a game that when I need to recall something, I got it right in my mind. It's not on a piece of paper, I'm hunting through a computer program somewhere. You still make notes. To remind yourself of themes and different things you want to talk about, but it's got to be there in instant recall—and the only way to do that is to watch games and to understand it and to know it. Um, and it's 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 tough, like it's 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 hard work. And like Luke said about the difference between radio call and TV call, I was really really fortunate when I first started doing this back in two thousand eight. I had a great producer at CBC and Andy will be able to talk about this too. A guy by the name of Paul McDougall, who's still at CBC. He taught me so much about the industry of how to do television, how to pick up a camera, how to have a have a, a you know a producer in your ear giving you a count, how to throw it back and 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 sound like you know what you're talking about, you know, if you've got 30 seconds of content in your mind that you want to get out and you've only got 10 seconds to do it, how to be clear and concise and to say what you want to get your message across to the viewer to educate the viewer. Because that's how I look at it. I don't look at it as I'm an entertainer. And at the broadcast meetings a couple years ago down in Florida, we were asked, because Alexi Lawless was up presenting, and the head of broadcasting for MLS had said to our producer at TSN, you know, one of the reasons I tune in to watch Alexi at halftime because I know he's going to say something outrageous. And I want to see that. You know, have you ever thought about doing that with Luke and Jason. And I turned to Luke and whispered, if he, if he says yes, I quit. I, I, I will not do that. I'm not gonna say things I don't believe. I'm not gonna, you know, say things that are outrageous that 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 go against my principles of how the game should be played. I view my role as is to explain the why. So Luke is the is the what. He explains what is happening and I explain why. So that's where the two roles I think have to intertwine and they have to mesh and they have to complement each other and you only do that by building up a relationship both on and, and and out of the
6: booth. The other thing is of all the research you'll do and all the hours you put in going into a game, if it's a good game you might only use 20% of that. There's a lot that goes unsaid or you know if it's a really good game and the action doesn't warrant the fact that you need to tell somebody where yeah. somebody's from or tell them story about somebody's background or history.
1: The other thing, too, is we, we probably use, I'd say, maybe 5% of the information we actually get. So the, the conversations that you have with coaches off the record, the stuff that we learn about teams and deals and, and transfers and whatnot that they're trying to do, we always say to, co- to coaches, look, if we burn you once, you're never going to tell us anything ever again. So we're not going to do that. This is for our information so that we can describe to the viewer what it is you're trying to do. And it's been diff- more difficult with some coaches than others over the years. We've got great relationships with with Carl Robinson in Vancouver. We've got a very good relationship that's developing with Greg Vanney in Toronto. Um, obviously, there's certain things they can't tell us and they don't want to tell us. But you build up that trust with the manager that if you say something to me in confidence about, a player that you know is in your lineup or not in your lineup and why they're not in the lineup and we use that in such a way that we can inform the viewer so they're educated, that's gonna help the manager. And that's about again, building up relationship and building up that trust.
0: We'll wrap this up shortly. Just um moving into the studio side of things in terms of preparing for our shows during the week. <laughs> you laugh. Um Luke, obviously when you welcome everybody, you know it's 9.30 on a Saturday morning, two o'clock on a Tuesday afternoon for Champions League or whatever, but maybe just let the the, the guys here and everybody know just like when and how we go about preparing for that. Because sometimes we're on the air for four or five hours in a row after that.
6: Yeah. Well, when we go on the air, there is sort of a plan. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't say it's uh, a firm plan. There's probably, moving. it's a, it's a fluid moving plan. Yeah. Um, and often it's, and John Roder, who is a, a Premier League commentator, who was across doing the World Cup, uh, the Women's World Cup last summer, we had the chance to get together with him a couple of times, and he said to me that often when he's broadcasting, he feels like a swan, and when you're watching on the television, it's all serene above the water, but actually underneath the water, he's frantically kicking his feet around, trying to make sure that he, he stays f- stays above water and uh, and floats, and that's sometimes what it's like, especially on those shows where. Um, we're not quite sure what's going on, which interviews we're going to next. The one thing that has worked really well, though, is that these guys are ultra prepared for everything. And they want to to come into a show, not necessarily with an absolute order of how things should go, but with a, a wish list of topics they want to get to, uh, pieces that they've worked on pre-show to... Uh, show tactical analysis, different breakdowns of plays, and we'll just have a list of those things. So we'll say, okay, six minutes, we're going to talk Chelsea. And I can pretty much just set KJ or Jason up and just sit back for five minutes, and then they'll just not stop talking. Um, uh, Go get a cup of tea from the green room. (laughs) Yeah, I'm off having a cup of tea outside. The producer just listens to them when they say a certain trigger word. He rolls the piece, and it works great. And that, I think, is the best way to do it, to make sure that... um, you're not just very rigid in the format of okay, this is what we're supposed to do next, so we'll do it. If these guys go in a different direction, the producer's listening and is able to change uh, pretty quickly, and, and that works really well.
1: I'm I'm sure I'm sure Andy will confirm this when when she's up here as well, um, and the other guys sit in and, and, and Alex broadcasting either on radio or on on TV. Whether it's whenever it's live, there's a plan, but you got to be able to roll with it. And you've got to be comfortable in your subject matter to be able to just talk. And from our perspective, me and KJ, what we're what we're pushing for is less structure and more freedom. Where our producer will say to us, "Right, you've got a ten minute block, and we'll have control of the video, and we'll be able to to play it back." Anybody who watches Monday Night Football. In, uh, in England now, with the, de- the departed Gary Neville, and it's now Jer- Jamie Carragher, and, a, and a, a cycle of different guests every week. What they do on TV, I think a lot of people have looked at that and said, Oh, it's wow, it's groundbreaking, it's revolutionary. It isn't revolutionary because that's the conversation that happens, and, and John will confirm this, um, and Stephen as well. That's what happens in a football club. That's what happens in a dressing room. That's what happens in a coach's office is you go through tape, and you look at games, and you look at patterns, and you look at and try and identify strengths, weaknesses, trends, characteristics. How can we exploit that? Where's their threat? How is it going to expose us? Where are we weak? How do we win this game? So they're taking the conversation that's happening at football clubs behind the scenes – And doing it live on national television, and that's where we want to get to. So we want to be able to get to a point at TSN where we can have that discussion, and Luke can be, you know, the 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 setup man or the guy that asks those probing questions. And that's one of the things that Luke does really well. That's twice now. I've said two nice things about him. I gotta get. I gotta get points for that. It is Christmas. It is Christmas. You're right. This is is for next year. So. this is one of the things that Luke does really well is he plays the wind-up merchant. So if you listen to our podcast, he'll ask questions that he doesn't believe and he knows the answer's wrong, but he'll still say, yeah, but what about this or what about that? Because he knows it's going to get us going. So that's where the, the the relationship of the people that are on camera has to be good. And that's where the work behind the scenes has to be great. you got to have a producer that has you know the balls to be able to say, no, let's just hold this, let's hold this, let's wait, let's see what they say and let's have these five things queued up and ready to go so that when they start talking about, you know, Aston Villa conceding the third goal again before halftime, we can roll in the video, and then they can talk about it, and they can, they can go down that road, right, KJ?
0: That's right. We're yet to do a Premier League on TSM broadcast about Ipswich or Chef United. Um, before I let you go, uh, Luke... Personal highlight of uh,
6: 2015, with or professional highlight of 2015? The, the highlight for me, obviously the Women's World Cup was just something that was a once-in-a-lifetime thing to host a World Cup in Canada was uh, was fantastic. And the moment, um, I wrote about this online this week, but the moment, my my number one memory from soccer this year was seeing Christine Sinclair score that penalty in the opening game at Commonwealth Stadium. Because what it meant to her and the rest of the team you could see on the f- her face as soon as she turned around and ran towards John Herdman and you just know that what she means to that team and what she means to the country as a whole to have the weight of that moment on your shoulders and it was a big moment just because not only because of the 50,000 people there but also and you're you're one of these you know stats geeks who will talk about if you don't <laughs> win your opening game this happens 9 times out of 10 and all this nonsense no like either. <laughs> yeah, KJ knows everything there is to know about absolutely everything. Ask him about a Turkish third division right back it's and he'll come true. up with three. It's, it's ridiculous. Um, but if they hadn't got that goal then, then it, it really probably wouldn't have panned out the way they did. They wouldn't have finished top of the group and it meant so much to her, to everybody else. And so that was my highlight of the year.
1: Yeah, I I would echo that. I think that whole tournament, the whole experience was, was definitely the highlight. I had the very good fortune of working with that group as a part of John Herman's coaching staff uh, over the years and have seen some of those players grow and develop. And the, the I think, explosion onto the world scene of Kadisha Buchanan is really the one that stands out for me. It, it, I'm, I mean, I said before the tournament, I think she proved me right, um, and she's going to keep proving me right. She's going to be, if she's not already, the best central defender in the world one day. Um, and she's all she's only 19 years old you know turning 20 and to be shortlisted for the 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 world's best player in the female game the only defender on that list uh, the only central defender is a remarkable achievement she's a star and and couldn't happen to a nicer kid either like he's just so down to earth and hard working and um she's going to go from strength to strength. So the whole tournament for me was was fantastic. Um there were other highlights as well though. I you know I think all three Canadian teams making the MLS playoffs was great. Um although the outcome wasn't what we we had wanted as a as a broadcasting team. We obviously wanted all three teams to go further in the playoffs, but to get all three in I think just shows that the game is growing in uh, in, in Canada.
0: Yeah, I'll just add that when when you cover a tournament the way that we did and we were on the ground and we were there and broadcasting it you know, only Jason out of the three of us can really tell you what it's like to play in that tournament. But it, it, I'm sure it's pretty much second best. And Luke and I have talked about this at length, you know, so many flights that you don't even remember how many you've done. It's very few hours sleep, going to so, so many games, all this commentating, you know getting to work with, you know, fantastic professionals like James Duffy and, and these two guys next to me and that is the one nice thing I'll say about you. Um, but that is that it, it was it was a real thrill. And um, you know, there's just something special about that and and it was great to, to cover it and, and I and I think, you know, from from all three of our point of view, we just we don't take it for granted and that's the main thing. You know, we, we know that we're very lucky to do what we do. So a uh, round of applause for these two fine gentlemen. Thank you very much. <laughs>